Welcome to the Journey Student Ministry Podcast. We're glad you're here. JSM exists to engage students in the process of knowing Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to be more like Him. Well, hello, high school. How are y'all doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad y'all are good. I'm glad to be back. I know that since we're back, that also means that we're back in school, but it still is so good to see your faces. I missed y'all over the break, but I hope that y'all had a good break and y'all had a happy Christmas and New Year's and all of that stuff. Um, but tonight we're going to be starting this series called Head in the Clouds. Where we're going to be talking about um, how, how us um, believing in Jesus, how us believing in God changes things, not just it doesn't just change where we go when we die, but it changes how we live on earth. It changes how we think on earth. It changes how we um, fight on earth. It changes how we make choices on earth and all of these different things. And so we're going to talk about how we are people that even though we are living on earth, our minds can be set to heaven. We can keep our heads in the clouds. And so that's what we talk about for these next few weeks. And tonight we're going to talk about spiritual warfare And you might be thinking that's probably not the most inspiring message to hear on the first Wednesday of the year. But I think by the end of this, we'll we'll understand that we have hope in the midst of spiritual warfare, that we have victory in the midst of spiritual warfare, and that that can change your whole perspective, not just of this year, but of the rest of our lives as we follow after Jesus. But before we go any further, let's pray, because we certainly can't ever pray too much. So dear Lord, we are so thankful for you. We are so thankful that you sit enthroned, that you sit above all, that you are above um, all things, and that we have victory in you, and that we can find hope in you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we speak these, as we um, read your words, as I speak these words, as we talk about these things in small group, Lord, that we would be moved to greater love and faith and knowledge of you. I pray that your spirit would move in this place, Lord, and that it would speak clearly through me, that it would speak clearly through the students and the leaders in small group, Lord, and above all, that all eyes would be pointed to you and that we would be obedient to your word and who, and who you've called us to be. And hear me pray. Amen. So like I said, we're going to talk tonight about spiritual warfare. And so we're going to jump right in. The first truth is that spiritual warfare is real. And spiritual warfare is this battle that's been going on since the beginning of time. And and it it started between Satan or Lucifer and God. And what happened was God had created, um, he had created Lucifer as an angel. And um, he was given this specific role, this responsibility above all the other angels to essentially be the worship leader for all of the angels. And so he was in charge of all these angels and he was supposed to like, um, round them up and make sure that they were praising God when they were supposed to. And he was supposed to make sure that, you know, they, they praised God with like the horn and a harp and with their voices and all of this stuff that scripture says. And but then one day, Lucifer decided that he was tired of telling all the angels to praise God. And so he decided that he was going to tell all the angels to praise himself. And so all of a sudden, Lucifer felt that he was more worthy than God was. And he felt that he was more wise than God was and that he was more powerful than God was. And so God kicked him out of heaven. He was like, you've messed up. That's not what you were created to do. And um, scripture actually says that Satan fell like lightning out of heaven. God just dropped him out. And so um, Satan then fell down to hell that maybe you've heard about before. 
And so then that was all before the beginning of even um, the heavens and the earth, before God even created humans. And then we see um, Satan come up again when God does create the heavens and the earth and he creates humans. And we read in Genesis 3 about the enemy. And we read how he tells us that, um, or we read that how he, he lies to Eve and Adam and makes them sin. And so you see how he's starting to fight with God again with through creation, through humanity. And so this battle between God and Satan has been going on since the beginning of time. And, and we play a role in it because if we are people that love God, the people that praise God, people that um, long to know his word and all of these different things, we make the enemy really mad because the enemy doesn't think that God is worthy. The enemy doesn't think that we should love God. And so when we pursue God in that way, the enemy wants to get in the way of us. He wants to distract us. He wants to take our attention away from God or these different things, all to take praise and love away from God. And so that's how we kind of get stuck in the middle of this. It's this battle between um, the enemy and God, but we are stuck in the middle because we are people of God. And so the enemy wants to mess with us in order to mess with God. And so the first truth is that the enemy is real. There is a real enemy, like I said, and he was someone that was in fact created by God. Genesis 3 even tells us that the serpent was made by God, that he was more crafty than any other beast that the Lord God had made. And so this also brings us to this next truth is that the enemy is limited. The enemy is real, but he is limited. The truth is, is that if God created the enemy, that means that God wouldn't create anything greater or more powerful or more wise or more holy or more righteous or more good or more pure or anything than he himself. And so if the enemy was created by God and at one point submitted to God, there is no way that the enemy can be greater than God. So the enemy is real, but he is limited. Here are some other ways that the enemy is limited. The enemy is limited because he, can, he cannot hear your voice or he cannot hear your mind. The enemy has ears, but he is not a mind reader. He can't hear your thoughts, even though sometimes it feels like he can. So he is limited because we know that God is in all places and, and is everywhere. And he um, knows our minds. He knows our thoughts. Scripture tells us that he knows our innermost thoughts. But the enemy doesn't. The enemy is limited compared to God. Another way that the enemy is limited is that he cannot be everywhere. The enemy cannot be at all places at once like God can. God is something that is called omnipresent, which means he is everywhere. But the enemy cannot the enemy doesn't have the presence of God like um, God does. He doesn't have a presence or a spirit that spreads out everywhere. The enemy, yes, he does have his demons, his little minions, and they can do a few different things for him here and there, but the enemy is ultimately limited in the fact that he cannot be everywhere all the time. And the next thing is that the enemy is not all-powerful. Scripture tells us in Matthew 28, 18, that God says, or Jesus says, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so there's no power left for the enemy to have. 
The enemy is not all powerful. The enemy, enemy is real, but he is limited. And that means that we have very little to fear from him. And the next reason that the enemy is limited is that because we already know how he fights. We know how the enemy fights. The enemy, um, like I said, was an angel. And so angels were created from the very beginning of time by God to be messengers. And so angels were created to share different messages. First, the angels were created when they existed in heaven to share the message that God was worthy and holy. In Revelation, we hear about how angels proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the earth is filled with his glory. And we hear how angels proclaim, holy is the Lord God, the lamb that was slain. Angels actually sent messages to humans. We just learned during Christmas about Gabriel, an angel that came down from heaven and spoke to Mary. And Gabriel gave the message to Mary that she was going to carry Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, the Messiah, and that he was to be called Emmanuel, God with us. Gabriel, he shared that message. And so just like Satan, as he was created as an angel, it is in his core. It is who he is, that he is a messenger. But now instead of sharing the message that God is worthy, he shares the message of lies. And so um, Satan is limited in the fact that we know how he already fights. And if we know how we already fights, that means that we know how we can beat him. That's, that means that we know how we can fight against him to overcome. And so he fights with lies. And maybe you've heard these lies before. Maybe, maybe you've been fought against with these thoughts. That you are unworthy. Or that you are not loved. Or that you are not remembered. Or that you are not, um, or that you are worthless. Maybe you've heard this lie that you are broken and that you can't be made whole. Or that you are alone or you are forgotten. See, the enemy speaks these, these lies of shame and slander and hurt, and he lies to you and deceives you into thinking something that's not true. This is how he fights with us. And so these messages are, are from the king of lies, and they're from the enemy, and he only means to use these messages to hurt us. Scripture says that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy and that's what he does. He uses those lies to hurt us, to destroy our hope in Jesus Christ, to kill us and these different things. But the truth is, is that these, um, that we know the word of God is true. And so we can use the word of God to fight against the lies of the enemy. Scripture even tells us that the word of God can be used as a sword in um, Galatians, it speaks of the, or Ephesians, it speaks of the body, um, the armor of God. And so it talks about how we can take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is living and active. And that the word of God is uh, sharper than a double-edged sword and it can separate bone from marrow. And what this is essentially saying is that the word of God is so sharp, it's so precise, that it can help us discern it can help us figure out what is a lie and what is a truth it can help us understand what is a lie from the enemy that he is trying to fight us with and what is a truth from god 
And so the enemy is real, but he is limited in the fact that we have a weapon that is greater than his. And this is how we can use this weapon. Maybe you've heard some of those things that I said that you aren't loved or you are um, unworthy or those different things. And this is how we fight these. Maybe the enemy has said to you, you are not loved, but God's word says that um, for God so loved the world, God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. Or maybe you feel like you've heard the lie before that you are unworthy, but God's word says that even when you are a sinner, when you were as worthless as can be lost in sin and darkness, Jesus still laid down his life for you. Or maybe you feel like you are forgotten. That's a lie that the enemy has told you. Well, you can fight with the sword of the word of God by saying that God has told you in Hebrews that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Or maybe you felt like um, you've been told before that God doesn't take care of you. That he doesn't care about you enough to take care of you, to take care of every need. And you can say back with the word of God that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. And he makes a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And I will have a place in his house forever. And his, and his rod and his staff will comfort me. That is the word of God. That is the truth. And that is how we fight the enemy. We have the word of God that is living and active, and it is not limited. The enemy is limited. And then this is the second thing, is that the other truth is that the fight is real. There is a fight. And if you've heard some of those lies before, then you have seen how the fight is real. The enemy has fought you. But we get to see that even though the fight is real, the victory is real too. And so we fight by using the word of God. But the truth is, is that we can't give the enemy more credit than he is due. Like I said, the enemy is real, but he is also limited. And he doesn't work in all the ways that he thinks that we think he does. Your strict teacher is probably not the enemy trying to get at you. Or your parent that yelled at you is probably not the enemy trying to get at you. The enemy works in sneaky ways. Scripture says that he works in the unseen places, just like in these lies. And so when we know how he works, how he fights, we can fight back against him. It makes me think of um, this story I heard about these two um, generals in the Civil War, about how we give the enemy too much credit. So there was this one general um, of the Union um, forces, uh, General McClellan. And General McClellan, he was in charge of leading the Confederate troops or the Union troops. And then General Robert E. Lee was in charge of leading the Confederate troops. And um, so McClellan knew eventually that he was going to have to face General Lee and his troops. That it was just inevitable throughout the course of the Civil War, they were going to meet and they were going to have to fight. And then so sure enough, in Richmond, Virginia... Um, it comes time for McClellan's troops and Lee's troops to fight against one another. And McClellan, for some reason, had this like gut feeling that Robert E. Lee's troops were way more powerful and bigger and stronger and more equipped than his troops were. And there was no reason for him to feel this way. He had never seen Robert E. Lee's people fight before. He didn't know any, anything about him that was like a big secret. He didn't know their battle plan or their strategy. But for some reason, he gave Lee so much credit for how good his army was. 
And so before they went to battle, McClellan sent this um, spy ahead of the troops. And he sent this, he sent this man named um, Alan Pinkerton to go spy on uh, Robert E. Lee's troops. And Pinkerton, knowing how scared McClellan was of Robert E. Lee, kind of was expecting to see some like crazy, insane crowd of soldiers when he walked up to their camp to spy on them. But when um, Pinkerton went to go spy on them and he got to Lee's troops, he was very underwhelmed and underimpressed with the amount of soldiers that he, he had, that he had seen. And he thought, surely half of them were like just in their tents and I just don't see them. Or maybe half of them are like down in the river getting some water and they're like not around here. And so he decided on his way back to tell McClellan what he had seen, that he was going to increase the numbers. And so when he told McClellan how many people he saw, how many soldiers he saw, he doubled or actually tripled the number of soldiers that he saw. And so McClellan, hearing these fake numbers, decided that he was never going to attack Lee. And so they surrendered and they backed up away and they never engaged in a fight with Robert E. Lee and his people. And so the Union forces, they surrendered to the Confederate forces and didn't engage in that battle. But the truth is, is that would have been a fair fight. Robert E. Lee didn't actually have the upper hands on General McClellan's troops. They about had the same size forces. They had pretty much the same weapons. There was no reason for McClellan to be afraid of Lee and his troops, but he gave his enemy way too much credit. And I think sometimes we give our enemy way too much credit. We let him make us feel more afraid than we need to be. There is no reason for us to be afraid of the enemy because the enemy is limited. He is not as big and as bad and as scary as we think he is when God is on our side. And so no doubt the enemy is real. No doubt the fight is real, that the enemy does fight us. We know that he fights us with lies. And the last thing, and this is the final truth, is that the victory is real as well. And the victory is real because we know it, like I said, that we even know that Matthew 28, 18 tells us that Jesus has proclaimed that all authority in heaven and earth belongs to him. And so the victory is real for Jesus, but the victory is also real for us. As we are people of God, as we are people that have the Holy Spirit in us, as we are people that follow after Jesus and, and are covered by him and are sons and daughters of him, victory is ours as well. First John 4, um, 4, it even tells us that God is greater, the, God, the spirit of God that is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And so because God dwells in us, the spirit of God that is in us is greater than he who is in the world, speaking about the enemy. And so victory is not just Jesus's, but it is ours as we are people of Jesus, as we are people of God. And so we can trust in that promise that victory is real for us. And once we understand that victory is real, that it's true, then it can shift our mindset. We can walk differently. 
We can walk in, in the knowledge, knowing that Jesus has won, that there's victory for us, and it should change how we look at everything in life. It makes me think of a story for, about um, David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. If you've grown up in church before, you've probably heard of this story. How we have David, this Israelite, but he was this little shepherd boy. And then we have Goliath, this big, nasty giant from the Philistines. And he was huge and he was a trained soldier. And, and they went up to battle against one another, the Israelites versus the Philistines. And what actually was going on was the Philistines and the Israelites, they were at war for a long time before we hear about this battle. And so when, they, when we get to this battle that we hear about with, between David and Goliath, what actually is happening is the Philistines are on one mountainside and then the Israelites are on the other. And they decided that the battleground was going to be the valley between the two mountainsides. And they decided that the outcome of the war would decide whose slave is who. So if the, the Philistines, if they won against the Israelites, the Israelites were subjected to be the Philistine slaves for the rest of their lives. And if the Philistines lost, then they would have to be the Israelite slaves for the rest of their lives. So the salvation and the freedom of these nations was on the shoulders of the people that were fighting the war. And so the Israelites were terrified of the Philistines. They knew that they had some big players on their team. They had Goliath, who was literally a giant. And they had other people from this other city called Gath, that they were also big and huge and strong like Goliath was. And so the Israelites weren't sure that the victory was actually going to be theirs. They were giving their enemy a lot of credit. And so for 40 days and for 40 nights, the Israelites stayed on one side of the mountain and the Philistines stayed on the other. And Goliath walked down evening and morning for 40 days and 40 nights, taunting the Israelites, begging them to fight him. And for 40 days and for 40 nights, the Israelites gave their enemy too much credit. And they didn't fight. They didn't walk up to the battle line. They weren't sure the victory was theirs and they didn't know how to fight. And then after the 40th day and the 40th night, David suddenly realizes that it is his responsibility to fight for the salvation and the freedom of his nation for the Israelites. And so David decides that he's going to walk up to the battle line and he's going to fight this fight for his nation. And so David, he's like less than 20 years old, this little shepherd boy that he knows how to wrangle some sheep, but he doesn't know how to fight in battle. He stands up against Goliath that towers over him. And Goliath is this like old rugged man with like tough skin. And he, he knows how to carry a spear and swing his sword. And he's covered head to toe with armor. And David decides that he's going to fight him. He was tired of giving his enemy too much credit. And so David takes out a little sling and a stone and you know the story, David takes the sling and he pulls it back and he hits Goliath with the stone and he knocks him down. And just imagine the Philistines standing on the mountainside and the Israelites standing on the other and all they see is the giant fall to the ground. But they're still not sure if the victory is won. And then all of a sudden, David takes 
the um, sword out of, out of um, Goliath's hand as he's laying there in the dirt. And David cuts off Goliath's head. And he picks up Goliath's head and he swings it around and he shows the Israelites on the mountainside the enemy's head to show them that the victory was won. The victory is real. David used what the enemy meant for evil and he used it for good like we just sang. The enemy's sword that he had in his sheath that he was going to kill David with, David won the final victory with. And so then David turned the head to the Philistines to show them that their champion had lost, that they had been defeated. And after he'd shown the Philistines that the victory wasn't theirs, David took the head of Goliath to other cities in Israel. And he showed all of Israel that salvation and freedom was won for them. And after the nation had seen that the victory was real, that the victory was won, that the giant, the enemy had been slayed. The remaining army of the Israelites had new vigor, new excitement, new passion to finish the fight that was won. And they fought all the Philistine nation and all the army back to their base, back to their camp where they belonged. And then after all of that happened, David took the head of Goliath still and he walked up a hillside And he buried Goliath's head in the hillside and they named the hill where they buried Goliath from Gath, the hill of Golgotha. And maybe you've heard of the name, the hill of Golgotha before. The hill of Golgotha is also known as the the Calvary's hill, the hill where Jesus Christ died for our sins, where Jesus Christ won the final victory over sin and the enemy. And so this is where we get to have hope in this, is that in the same way, the Israelites had new passion and new excitement and new courage and confidence to fight their enemy back to their base, to overcome the Philistines. We can walk in victory knowing that Jesus has cut the head off the enemy. He has no power over us because Jesus has taken the sting of sin and the pain of death away. And so the enemy is limited now and forever. And the victory is real. The victory is ours. And so we can walk in new hope and new confidence and new courage knowing that the enemy may try to come against us here on earth, but he has no power in heaven. And the enemy may try to hurt us right now, but we are bought and adopted and we belong to Jesus. The enemy may try to pick little battles with us here on earth, but we know that we have overcome him because the spirit of God is alive and living and active in us. And he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And so we can walk with our head in the clouds, knowing that we may experience hard things on earth, but there's victory to be found. The victory is real and it is already won and the victory is ours. And so my hope and my prayer is that this changes you that it changes your perspective of the things that you face, that it changes your perspective of 
the lies that you hear, that you realize that they are that, that they are just lies and that we have the weapon of the word of God that is sharp, that cannot be overcome or overtaken or changed or quenched. And so as we walk into this new season and this new year, as we walk throughout the rest of our lives, our hope is that you walk with this truth, that the enemy has been defeated once and for all. And in the same way that the Israelites were ready to take on the Philistines when they saw that the battle was finally won, we can walk in that same, the same way, being ready to plunder the enemy under our feet because we know the final victory has already been won and there's no need for us to fear. Let's pray. Lord, we are, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for the way that you have overcome. We're thankful for the way that you have fought for us. And we're thankful for the way that, that we can have confidence in who you are. We can have confidence in your word. And Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word. You've given us your promise. You've given us your truth that we can use as a weapon to separate and sort through the lies and the truth, that we can use your word as a weapon against the enemy. And so Lord, I pray that you would open up our minds to understand your word, Lord, that you would open up our hearts, that we may store your word in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would open up our mouths, that we would continually speak your word and your truth, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our hands, that we would lift up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, with, with confidence that it is true, with confidence that it is powerful. Lord, that we may be people that, that look to heaven, that we have a heavenly mindset, even when we are on earth, Lord. Lord, that we may be students and leaders that walk in confidence of who you are and the promises that you have made. Lord, we thank you that you are in us and that you are greater than anything in this world and that you have given us that same power and authority. Lord, may you strengthen every leader and student in here that we may walk in that confidence, knowing and trusting and believing and acting on the truth that the victory has been won, that there is no need to fear. Near me pray, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Journey Student Ministry Podcast. If you need help taking your next steps, email our team at jsmnextsteps at journeycommunity.net.